Today we're going to address the negatively impactful dynamic of comparison to others. The comparison game can direct our focus away from what is God's will for us and what is godly. So we shouldn't compare ourselves to others, right? Even though we may be somewhat envious or even jealous of the gifts that others may have. The comparison game can leave us empty and it's far from the love of neighbor that God has hoped and dreamed for each and every one of us whom he has created uniquely to be who we are. You know, it seems to be part of our culture to put us in competition or in this comparison game with one another, comparing ourselves to others. You know, there's always someone or something that is better, isn't there? And we often fall into the trap of being that person who wants to acquire that thing that we see is best or better than us. We sometimes call this comparison game keeping up with the Joneses. And you know the Joneses, that perfect family who seem to have it all together as far as appearance is concerned, or status and wealth and power and the other things that we really want for ourselves. But this isn't what God has for us. You know, often our status of how we feel about our work or, or about who we are is based on how much we compare ourselves to others. And when we start to play that comparison game, we become discontent with our own life. We can start to create an unhappy status quo when we get consumed with what others are doing that we wished we were doing, or who others are that we wished we could be. And when we fall into that comparison game, burnout is right around the corner. You know, one of the Ten Commandments is about coveting, isn't it? Coveting what is your neighbor's. That, ten, that one of the Ten Commandments is about this very thing, the comparison game. This morning I want to read from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the sixth chapter. And I want to say that the letter of Galatians is really all about the comparison game. If you know anything about it, it's sometimes called Paul's angry letter. He wrote to the church at Galatia concerning a, a problem. There, there were those who were called the Judaizers who were coming in and, and basically sharing a false gospel message that everyone to become a Christian should first become a Jew. And for those who were men, you needed to be circumcised before you could become a true Christian. There was this comparison of who we are and who they are. And this was going on in the church, this comparison game, and Paul addressed it in his letter. Let's stand and read Galatians 6, beginning with the fourth verse. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. 
for all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the Word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow, and if you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, Whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all and especially for those of the family of faith. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is really a great text to share what we're talking about this morning, and that is um, to share a word about how God wants to keep us from that comparison game or keeping up with the Joneses or whatever it is that keeps us away from God's intention for us to be who we are, uniquely created, authentically real in Him. Now, I want to focus on this little piece of that text as I read it again. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause of pride. For all must carry their own loads. Have you ever heard the expression, live within yourself? Have you? I remember hearing a variation of that live within yourself when Zach, our son, was playing baseball in high school. He had a coach whose favorite line to his team was, uh, play within yourself, play within yourself. And what his team came to realize about that as individuals was that, that um, you, you know, if you were not a home run hitter but a base hitter, then don't swing for the fence. You're going to pop out. That's not your gift. If you're a left fielder, don't be envious of the pitcher because you're, you're not a pitcher. You're, you're a left fielder, and you're there because of, of your other gifts. Play within yourself. And, and that coach knew something very important, and that was in order to have a true team, he had to instill within each individual player that they had a role to play based on their talents and gifts, and, and, and they didn't need to want to be another, whether that person was more gifted at a particular position or just overall more athletic. They were there for a particular purpose to play a particular role. And this coach knew that if a player will be all that he, in this case, or she, can be, then they will reach their fullest potential and the team, therefore, could be at its fullest potential. You know, for the last several years, I've gone to a conference called Leading Edge. And this conference is by invitation only. And the pastors of the 100 largest United Methodist churches are those who are invited to the leading edge. And, and you get invited because of the size of your church, the size of worship, the, 
um, the, the size of your budget, you know, the, 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 the beauty of your large buildings and how impressive they are and the way you're noted for your vision. And, you know, I love this group, but some of my closest colleagues who are a part of it fall into this comparison trap. I'm glad I don't. What are y'all laughing at? <laughs> you know, we met a few years ago in Florida, and a few years ago we met in Utah at Park City, and I'm telling you, we meet in these great places because there's a funder in Kansas City who puts us up, and I mean, it's really nice. And this past year, we met in Kansas City at the Church of the Resurrection. That's the church where Adam Hamilton is the pastor. And uh, we met there, and uh, we got to see Adam's new $80 million building and his largest stained glass window in the United States. And I had to remind him that we still had the largest stained glass building, building in the United States. We didn't just stop at a window. And as you, as you can imagine, the ego meter runs a little hot when this group, the leading edge, gets together. Of course, everyone in the room, except for yours truly, has to be careful not to get caught up in this keeping up with the Joneses stuff. And some of them, Walt, when they hear about these best practices that the other churches are doing, and more worship attendance, and more of this, and more of that, they become a little jealous. They do. They do. And some of my friends, uh, they really struggle with how much more talented some of us are than they are. <laughs> some even get jealous and envious of who gets paid the most. And you know, they envy the ones who dream those big dreams and they write 10 books a year, or at least they say they do, and they preach all of these sermons and they stay up 21 hours a day, only sleep three days or three hours a night. And, you know, they, they're just so, so productive. And, you know, some of my friends really get jealous about that. And, and some of my preacher colleagues really have a problem not living within themselves. I'm, I'm not fooling you, am I? You, you've already caught on that maybe I fall into this comparison game too. Don't we all? From time to time? I think preachers in general, no matter what the denomination, fall into this. Jimmy Emery told me that music directors, of all things, fall into this too. I think United Methodist pastors are particularly susceptible to the comparison game because of our holy connection that can be oh so unholy when we start comparing ourselves to one another. We fail to remember that the Joneses are the, have the very same issues that we have, just different names and different settings. You know, comparing ourselves to others is never godly, and it's always spiritually unhealthy. 
I'm going to say that again. Comparing ourselves to others is never godly, and it's always spiritually unhealthy. Now, I graduated from high school in 1977. Do the math. This is my 40th high school reunion year. And believe me, high school and college reunions are especially dangerous grounds for the comparison game. People try to prove their own self-worth that's taken place over the last 40 years. We're not who we were back then. You know, we're good now, better than most. You know, all of this reunion thought that I've had reminds me of a story I've shared with you at least one time. It's my favorite comparison game story. It comes from my professor, Dr. Tech Sample, who grew up in the little town in Mississippi called Brookhaven, and he was famous for telling stories, Tex was and is, about Brookhaven, and I particularly liked the story that he told that he gleaned from a high school class reunion where one of his friends named, named Pops was present. He said Pops had worked all of his life. He was one of these kids that grew up on the other side of the tracks, you know, grew up poor. And he said he got his nickname because Pops, at a very early age, had to start working for a living to help his family make ends meet. And Pops sold popcorn, peanuts, and razor blades. And you could hear Pops, Tech said, going through the streets of Brookhaven saying, popcorn, peanuts, razor blades. And so Pops became his nickname. Kids made fun of Pops a lot when he was little. And and yet some took pity on him and would buy whatever he was selling because they knew that this little boy was working so that his family could eat. Now when Pops was 12 or 11 or 13 years old, Tex said, he fell deeply into love or maybe deeply into like with a young woman, a young girl in his class named Kate, who was a beautiful, blonde-haired, blue-eyed little gal. And he asked her one day to go with him to the movie show. And as the story goes, she said, Pops, I'll have to ask my parents, but I'd love to go with you to the movie show. And then the next day, she was avoiding him. After lunch, she was still avoiding him. So Pops worked up his nerve, and he approached her, and he said, Kate, what about it? Can you go to the show with me tomorrow? She said, no, Pops, I can't go. Why, he said. She said, I'd rather not say. He said, I need to know why. She said, no, Pops, I'm not going to go there. He said, tell me why. And she said, my parents told me you're not good enough for me. Well, those parents, I guess, got their wish because later on, Kate married the town banker, Billy Wakely. But in the meantime, when Pops was 15 years old, he bought an old raggedy truck and began to haul gladioli oil down to New Orleans And that old raggedy truck became a new one. And that new one became a little small fleet by the time he was in his mid-twenties. And by the time he was in his mid-thirties, he had quite a large fleet. 
And by the time he was approaching the age of 40, he was a millionaire. And by the time of the reunion, a multi-millionaire. So Tex started kidding Pops at the reunion. He said, Pops, I, I hear you've made a lot of money. He said, oh, don't believe everything you hear. He said, no, Pops, I've heard you, you, you're worth a lot of money, that you're worth millions, Pops. Oh, Tex, get back. He said, I'll tell you one thing, Pops. I'll bet you one thing. I'll bet you a dime to a donut that you don't put a penny of your money in Billy Wakeley's bank. Pop said, that'd be where you'd be wrong, Tex. I put every penny of my money in Billy Wakeley's bank. I want Billy and Kate to know exactly what I'm worth. <laughs> I love that story. There's something about that story. We love that story, don't we? Don't we? Don't we? And yet there is something hauntingly sad about it. For all of those years, he still carried that wound of being the poor boy who wasn't good enough. He too, with all of his success, still playing the comparison game. Now hear the words of Paul again. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For you reap whatever you sow, and if you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. If we sow jealousy, we reap jealousy. If we sow envy, we reap envy. If we sow covetousness, we reap the same. So Paul teaches and he taught in that previous chapter just a few verses away in the fifth chapter beginning with the 22nd and 23rd verse about the fruit of the spirit that we should compare ourselves to the fruit of the spirit is love and joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control God can transform that comparison game to a holy comparison. For there is only one whom we ever should compare ourselves to. And we should compare ourselves to this one. It's not about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about keeping up with Jesus. For God has created us unique who we are. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, God moves into our lives with the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, and so on. And the Holy Spirit uplifts the person of Jesus whom we should model in our living and in our love. Love of God and love of neighbor. 
You know, the only time we should play the comparison game, the only time it can be spiritually healthy, is when we are comparing ourselves through the work of the Holy Spirit working in us to the perfect love of Jesus that we are called to want and to live out in our lives. You know, I want to talk about one of our staff members. I could talk about our staff in general. I love this staff. But I want to talk about one who's not with us today because she's away. I'll talk about that in just a moment. But I'm speaking of Kay Eck, who is one of our associate pastors. She's actually been on staff 11 years. She was a junior high school teacher when she came to us as a member of the church. Methodist from Houston, but she was in the Dallas area teaching school. She started helping with our youth. She, she became a, a, a small group leader of girls, and, and my daughter Emily fell in love with her, in love with her loving care and who she was, a model. And so when Emily gets married in August in the ship chapel, Guess who's officiating at the wedding? Is it dad? No. It's Kay. Do you think I have a problem with that? Not at all. I want to be the father of the bride. I told her when Zach got married, you better pick you out a preacher. I'm not going to do your wedding. But she picked out one who had modeled Christ to her and still does today. We are blessed when we see our kids admiring the Christ in another and wanting so much to live out that life. Now we quickly discovered about this young Kay the Blants at the time, she's since married, that she had a heart for missions. She spent most of the two summers before she came on staff in Honduras in a, in a mission project there. And all the time she was seeking God's direction and God's leading of her life professionally. And after that second summer, she announced that she was going to go to seminary. And so in 2006, we hired her to be on staff here. And she worked with the great, late David McLaren. And David taught her how to coordinate missions. And she did a great work in seminary. She was ordained a few years ago. And her leadership skills are, are, are duly noted by so many people even beyond this church. She gets asked to chair this and chair that and to lead this group and to lead that group. And today she's with 13 of our missioners in El Salvador working with children in two different schools there, poor children. When I saw their picture on Facebook yesterday, I was just thanking God for the way they are sowing the seeds of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talked about, how they are sharing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, how they are living before these children a life that becomes the gospel. They didn't go to El Salvador to see these children as woe-is-me children, and we're 
someplace far removed and better than they. This group didn't go to El Salvador to think more highly of themselves, more lowly of the kids. They went there called by God to wrap everything that they do in this week that they are there in His love, to be ambassadors of the Christ whom they compare themselves to and His love. Kay wrote a few years ago something I want to read. I came across it this past week. She said, God wants us to get rid of our old pretend selves. Those parts of us that are trying our best to be something we're not or get stuff so we're like somebody else. If you will let him, God will renew you in his image. God is calling us to live the authentic life that he has given us. To have courage, to be genuine, to be secure in the person that he has made us to be. I love Kay's sentiments. To be secure in the person he has made us to be. I hope we leave here today committed not to play the comparison game, except for when we compare ourselves to Jesus. I hope we can go forth from this time on. And when that comparison game starts rearing its head, we can say under our breath, to God in the power of the Holy Spirit, melt me, mold me, make me. Not to be like him or her, but to be like you, Jesus. May God bless us. We are unique creations. We are those who are called to live in the power of the fruit of the Spirit and to model, compare ourselves to one, Jesus. Amen.